0: This is a WTOP original podcast. Welcome
1: to another episode of The Vine Guy. I'm your host, Scott Greenberg. And in this episode, it's Double Trouble with Nate and Lauren Belden, co-founders of Belden Barnes. Now, Nate Belden is chief of things great and small, while Lauren's title is chief creative cultivator. Now, they have two very different titles because they have two very different backgrounds, which I'm actually going to let them explain. But the very short version of it is Nate grew up on a horse farm in Colorado, while Lauren grew up on the Upper East Side in New York City. It's a little bit like Green Acres. And I got to know, how did you guys get together? This is amazing. You've got this beautiful piece of property out in Sonoma, California. You've built up this dream of yours from the very first time that you went to Wine Country. You kind of knew Nate that this was gonna be your destiny. But tell me, how does a cowboy and a socialite, I'm no, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but how'd you guys meet? How'd you get together and how did you share this dream?
0: Well, I, you know, I think it it all does start, you know, I'm a Colorado farm boy at a cattle rancher as one grandparent from Montana. My other set of grandparents were corn and dairy farmers. My dad's a horse veterinarian and I grew up in a rodeo family on a horse farm. And I think like anyone steeped in that much agriculture, either you, you double down or you get as far away from it as you possibly can. And I chose the latter. I, um, I went to university of Colorado Boulder and then, um, yeah, go Buffs. And then I started my career in New York city. Not and, too
2: far away from yeah, and, the house where I grew up.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And little did I know I, my first extremely tiny studio apartment in New York city was two blocks away from where, uh, Lauren grew up. Um, but we met much later in life. So I had a, I had a very urban career, took an opportunity in San Francisco that brought me back out West had a long run, but got really burnt out on what I was doing and wanted to get back to the land, so to speak. And so in a particularly dark period where I was really itching to do something else, I just decided to go up and, and do a tour of Sonoma and see what even what a farm looked like in Sonoma and saw a listing on Sonoma Mountain and stole away from a a group rental house that about 10 of us had for a 4th of July weekend over in Napa, drove over the Hill, saw Belden Barnes for the first time. And I, I completely fell in love with it. I couldn't swing it at the time, but uh, it really ignited my bug for wine. I was getting interested in wine and, and doing a bit of research on it. But once I saw this place, I just really could see myself there. And so I started taking distance classes with Davis um, also taking some classes at the Sonoma JC, um, doing as much reading and tasting as I could. And then I would just drive up from the city about once a month and just drive by the property. And then finally I did that for about a year. And and finally, one time the for sale sign had been pulled. Oh no. And, uh, it just completely gutted me. Oh no. And I realized just how much I had envisioned my life being on that property and, and in that lifestyle. And so I was fairly distraught and I got home and I emailed the realtor and said, Hey, you know, I see you've sold this place, but if something like that comes up again, I'm, you know, I'm in a better position now. And I, I wasn't necessarily, but I knew that I was, I was in the position where I wanted to bootstrap and make that happen. So I was lucky she emailed that day within the hour, actually. And she said, this, this property fell out of escrow today. If you want to do something, we should do something. So that's how the property came in to my life. And then Lauren and I, I guess, oddly or magically enough, (laughs) met online. And uh, we had uh, both been in very serious relationships before. She was my second date and I was her first date, online date. And uh, it was pretty apparent from the get-go that 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 was it.
2: And when I met Nate, um, he already owned the property. So Belden Barnes was this place where we would hang out. And he was selling at the time all the grapes to other winemakers. So amazing labels like Carlisle, Donnellan Family, Greystack, Argo, beautiful, beautiful labels that we love to drink. And we would drink these wines together as we were falling in love and just kind of talk about what it would be like if we started our own label. But that didn't become a reality until a little bit later when we had our first child. So we picked grapes ourselves for the first time the year our daughter was born because we had both come from these really travel heavy careers where we were on the road on average two weeks a month. And we knew that we didn't wanna raise children that way. We wanted to be around and so, it became clear that we could have a family business. And because Nate's background was so different than mine, career-wise, it was finance and helping companies run smoothly. And then my background was brand strategy, marketing and innovation. We knew how good these wines would be because we'd tasted so many made from those grapes. So we said, if we can't do it with these grapes and our two backgrounds, shame on us. And that was when the vision started.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about your background, Lauren, because I'm going to give away the secret. You are a graduate of Dartmouth. You majored in English and creative writing and you That's meet a true. cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: you know. Online. You. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I would be lying if I said I envisioned, you know, a life in California, Um you know, while I was at Dartmouth or while I was growing up in New York City, I sort of thought I would do what everybody else did and come back to New York City. I did that briefly after Dartmouth. Um, I came back to New York for a job as a copywriter at J.Crew and then I got involved in different ad- advertising agencies but I went to visit a good friend in San Francisco and in the course of four days, she brought me to Tahoe and wine country. And I just saw what life could be like. And I think it was about two months later that I moved out West. Yeah.
1: Wow. That, that was fast. And then did you continue in that same career path on the West coast?
2: I did. I, well, I had been working um, in New York. Also I, I I I Basically, my career transformed from copywriter to something called a strategic planner in an ad agency where you really start to understand consumer behavior. And then from that, I became an innovation expert, so helping companies like Nike and Pepsi come up with new products and figure out the right names for them and how to position them. And now, when I'm not doing Belden Barnes and I'm not hanging out with our munchkins, I am freelancing as a brand strategist and innovation specialist Great. and helping different different clients figure out what their brands mean, how to talk about them, how to name them, how to create a website that will bring them to life and help them connect with their target audiences.
1: As I'm sure you're doing with Belden Barnes, which yes. brings me to a point. I want to I ask this in two parts. First, why Belden Barnes? barns i mean most uh, places you know in wine country it's belden vineyards or belden winery but you're belden barns
2: well we love alliteration i'm not gonna lie as a writer (laughs) it just it's memorable it's easy to say it sticks in your mind we when we created our winery of course because i'm a branding nerd we started with focus groups and with a brand strategy and tons of documents and PowerPoints and slides. And what we really realized was that there are so many wineries in Sonoma and in Napa that are just, they start to blur together. And we did focus groups where people would say, Oh, I visited, um, you know, four different wineries and, in, on the on Highway 29, and I'd say, oh, which ones were they? And they said, I don't know. One had a tricycle, one had a gold <laughs> logo, and we didn't. We never wanted to be something you could forget, and so we said, instead of building a tasting room, because there's already thousands of those, let's build a tasting realm, and let's have our tasting realm. Be a very hands-on experience. So let's invite people to the land. Let's let them pick and taste the fruit when they're there. Let's walk them through the vines and talk about why we chose to make the wines that we did. Let's have a farming program where we partner with farmers and give them part of the land to to cultivate and grow. You know, make an income with. And so, you know, alliteration, family business, Belden, and then what sort of summarized that was the barns. There happened to be. barn on the property. It's a three-sided barn. One side is completely open and that's where we do our tastings in non-COVID times. And then there's another barn-like building and we're building another barn-like tasting room.
1: You guys are barnstormers.
2: We're barnstormers.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So tell me, where is Building Barns? Where's the location?
2: So
0: we're uh, we're Sonoma-based. We're on the north west slope of Sonoma Mountain. We're a subset of Sonoma Valley, the most northwestern tip of Sonoma Valley. And we're actually in this two sub-Appalachians. We sit in both Sonoma Mountain AVA and Bennett Valley AVA. Um, and our microclimate is um, most like that of Bennett Valley, which is a very, you know, it's we're inland quite a bit, but it's one of actually the cooler spots in Sonoma due to the Petaluma Gap. We're right at the end of the Petaluma Gap which is a large geological existence that's pumping fog and maritime breeze almost 100% of the time inland and that's what allows us to grow um, cool climate grapes.
2: And uh, for those of you who might be a little more geographically challenged the way I am and have no idea the, the spot that Nate is talking about. If you happen to know the winery Matanzas Creek that's famous for their lavender fields, we are about six minutes from them by car.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that being at the end of the Petaluma gap where you are getting those maritime influences, those, that fog rolling. And by the way, if you've never, for people listening, if you've never been there. It is a phenomenal sight to see uh, as it comes in in the afternoon. I mean, it's like clockwork, but you're getting these big diurnal swings, these big shifts in temperature. I assume, between, really big, right? Daytime, you got warmth in the daytime, and then it cools down in the evening, which is really helping to concentrate the flavors and acidity in your grapes.
0: Right, absolutely. Yeah, I'd say that's one of the one of the big themes uh, in our wines. I would say is is that acidic backbone. You know, Lauren and I, one, we make a broad portfolio of wines, but we want. drink our wines we want to make wines that we really enjoy and and reflect our personality and i would say that because our site holds acid it allows us to push ripeness a little further and maintain some balance and so wines have a lot of character but a, a really nice refreshing acidic backbone and then i'd say one of the other elements is we're at a thousand feet elevation so you know the combination of being a little bit closer to the sun and A breeze almost 100% of the time gives us thicker skins. And so I would say that uh, particularly in our Pinots, they're they're more robust Pinots than some of the other maybe more coastal or valley floor uh, Pinots you might get from Sonoma.
1: So tell me a little bit about your winemaking program. How many different varieties are you currently cultivating and who's making your wines?
0: We grow seven different varietals.
2: But we turn them into how many bottlings now? About
0: 13 different bottlings. And
2: some cans. Yeah. So we do about 14 different offerings. So we have rosé, both by the bottle, which is a Pinot Noir bleed. And then it's also a blend that we've created in the cans. Then we do Sauvignon Blanc, Grunerveld Liener, Chardonnay, two different Pinot Noirs, like straight up Pinots, um, two different straight up Syrahs. A Grenache, a late harvest Viognier, a Blanc de Noir, and we are about to release a hard cider, which will be apple, pear, and quince, which is a collaboration project with our farming team, Jenny and Vince Trotter, and the folks at Tilted Shed.
1: Uh, we're going to take a quick left turn then onto the farming for just a second. I, do, I will come back to the winemaking team. Sure. As you had me at Gruner. But uh, tell me, you had mentioned that you're doing farming on your vineyard. I mean, and we're not talking about grapes. You're
0: talking about. Trad- yeah, we're talking about traditional vegetable and orchard farming. You know, we really, when we started this program, we wanted it to one, reflect the full 360 of farming in Sonoma. We wanted our site to be immersive and. Felt like as we progress, we really do want to get people out into the field to understand their food better um, and have just general diversity on site. The other thing is when you know I started taking classes, both in in winemaking and organic farming, became really apparent that there was a ton of young energy in farming, which I was I, I frankly was really surprised at um, coming from a farming background. Um, You know, I I know how tough it is. And I I just sort of viewed it as the, I would say the more national press would view it as sort of a dying occupation, but you go to farming classes in Sonoma County, you're going to find 45 kids in a room that are completely jazzed about uh, the possibility of, of doing small scale, sustainable agriculture. And so we, knowing what land prices were and Um, Just knowing the lifestyle, we don't have a a ton of means, but we felt like we can at least give one couple a shot in doing so make our whole proposition much more interesting to us and other people. So we have this farmer in residence program where we provide a young couple that are dedicated to small scale uh, vegetable and orchard farming. Basically, we provide some subsidized housing and acreage allocation and access to our equipment and water and, and say, go for it. It's really been a big part of our fabric, a big differentiator. I mean, when people visit Bell and Barnes, it's just a completely different experience. And uh, one of
2: one of the best events that we had last year, pre-COVID, was um, there's a restaurant in San Francisco called Tartine Manufactury, and um, there's a lot of restaurants actually that carry Jenny and Vince's produce and our wines, but the chef Nico at Tartine. He decided, because he he buys into our vision too, that it would be incredible to have food and wine all grown in the same place and have it this very sustainable, organic, local production. And so he did a, they did a dinner at Tartine where every piece of produce throughout the entire meal was grown at Belden Barnes by Jenny and Vince, including things like they turn the corn into polenta and corn flour they create these beautiful heirloom beans. So, you know, rich, anything that wasn't a meat had been grown at Belden Barnes and any, every wine that they served at the restaurant that night was one of ours. And it was just, it was such a beautiful, and Jenny and Vince would tell the stories of, you know, the different vegetables or fruits. We would tell the story of the wine. Nico would tell why he brought those two things together. And it was just, it was really like a culminating life experience.
1: Nate, Lauren, as I mentioned before, we started the podcast. I grew up in, ag, in an ag community myself. I've met a lot of farmers. I've met a lot of cowboys. And <laughs> I've been to a lot of wineries. And I am not aware of any that have integrated those three the way the two of you have. It is the most unique story I have heard well, in the wine you. world.
2: Thank and you. And
1: the fact that you're giving back, not just to the land, but to people who are dedicated to to this project, that's remarkable. I cannot wait, cannot wait to come visit you once, uh, you know, once I can,
0: it'd be one Yeah, no, I mean, we we view it as a pretty important model and it's been actually really refreshing and exciting for us this year. We've actually had some very prominent wine labels contact us and actually come and spend the day with us to understand how we're operating within this mode because, and that's what we would like They're to see. They're interested
2: in doing something they, they similar. They want to do
0: something similar. And just the way permitting works in Sonoma, if you have a larger um, agriculturally zoned property, you have the ability to build farm worker housing on the site. So there's really an opportunity for larger landowners in Sonoma to, to do this and create a lot more diversity in the food ecosystem, a lot more interest and, you know, we're, we're hoping that we're a model for other people to follow.
1: And you, you are. I can tell you, I, I had an interview recently with a very large vineyard owner in Sonoma who's very dedicated to the farm workers and has built on-site housing. Right. And I, I applaud that. And matter of fact, he even suggested that I do a podcast with the farm workers
0: themselves. And... I, th- I think that's I think that's great. I mean, I think that that that's, has a lot of foresight. I mean, I also, I sit on the board of Burbank Housing, which is the largest low-income housing developer in the North Bay. And, you know, farmworker housing is just a, a big topic for the sustainability of the entire industry. And so um, it's, it's definitely worth some focus.
1: So let's take that hard right turn now back into the winemaking lane. Tell me a little bit more about your winemaking team at Belden Barnes.
0: Sure. So I think, you know, Laura and I feel as though we've some stumbled on a lot of luck. I mean, I think I think that building a brand successfully takes a ton of hard work and a ton of luck, but we've serendipitously met a lot of people that have really helped us turn it into our vision. One of those lucky things is our fence line neighbor of 10 years, uh, Justin Harmon, who we've, we've grown up in the industry together. and And he
2: has his own incredible label called Argo.
0: We planted out our vineyards together, have had a lot of wine together, and Justin is a full-time winemaker. Um, I've taken some classes at Davis. I've made some wine in my past, and Lauren and I very directly set the profile for our wines, including you know barrel selection, just about everything, but, but Justin really is an amazing winemaker, and he is doing the day-to-day uh, building of these wines.
1: So you also mentioned you had a canned wine. Program, I know that's gaining popularity. I know there's still some resistance in the traditional marketplace. I mean, I like to hear the sound of my cork pop. What led you towards the canned wine market?
2: That was all me. That was literally <laughs> the Lord,
1: the Lord, I could have, I could have guessed, but please
2: tell me. Don't. Begging for it for probably two years before we did it. Yeah. Um, And I wanted to create not not just what exists on the market, which is a lot of bad canned wine and big cans of wine, which I had read a couple of articles that people were accidentally over-serving themselves because they didn't realize that a can of wine, the way most are packaged, is the equivalent of half a bottle of wine. So I wanted to make small cans that were each one perfect serving of wine. So the, the four pack we sell, four four cans equal a bottle. What is it, 750 187? 187. 187 milliliters each. Mm-hmm. They're adorable. You can look at them <laughs> on our website. And I just people kept saying with our rose, so our rose is a really popular summer wine. We sell out of it every year. People first asked us to take the cork away from the wine because they said, look, it's like in my pool house. I bring it to the beach. I bring it to Dolores Park. I don't want to have to bring the corkscrew too can you make this one a screw cap so first that was the first iteration of the rose it's the only wine in our collection that we turned into a screw cap because we now have a thousand wine club members and at least a hundred people had asked us to do this they were like just make it easier
1: (laughs) okay
2: so then i said let's make it even easier for them let's make it so they can like throw a can in their pocket and go hiking and I swear to God, I think when we posted that we had these cans out and we showed a picture of them, I think that might have been our our most beloved Instagram post (laughs) of the year. And it went viral and we sold a lot of wine that first few weeks. Just, you know, flats of these cans. They're perfect for like, you know, you're going on a hike and you throw it in your pocket. You're going to a swim team practice. Remember that whole swim team? Yeah, there's a (laughs) lot of people who like to have a little beverage for their picnic and just keep it simple.
1: I assume that when we talk about swim team practice, we're not the ones actually practicing the swimming.
2: No, no we're the moms who have to go watch swim team practice every single day and need <laughs> a little, I, I am not a swim team mom, but we've heard for, for whatever reason, swim team moms <laughs> buy us out of the cans in the summer. So.
1: so you're making 13 different bottlings included in those bottlings are the it, are those that include the cans?
0: Yeah, and I Is mean it, we we, we probably have 14. a few more. I mean we're we're we have a blanc de noir sparkling on the market now. We actually have a blanc de blancs that we're going to be um, holding for at least four years in bottle before we release that, and and then we just this year actually picked and co-fermented for sparkling pinot noir and chardonnay. Um, so we'll have three different sparklings, and so. We, d- we do have a very broad portfolio. Let me back it up there, Nate. You said co-fermenting Pinot and Chardonnay for
1: your sparkling program? Yes. Okay. That's kind of <laughs> cool.
0: I haven't heard that before.
2: Well, it's... Uh, we're excited about it.
0: It's something we're excited about. We actually just p- tasted the base wine last week, and it's it's very nice.
1: Cool. I'm excited to try it now. And tell me about the sparkling program. I mean, sparkling programs are very, very different than still programs.
0: They are. And, and we're really relying on the expertise of a group called Rack and Riddle in Sonoma, which is custom crush facility solely for sparkling. So we can take a lot of credit for the grapes uh, coming from our site. And we farm them exactly as we do our, our table wine grapes. But the, the sparkling expertise is from that crew. You know, we, we have a lot of input when it comes to final dosage and, and the different elements. But um, they're in this case, they're the ones driving the winemaking truck. So to speak. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Before we get into my favorite part of the podcast, how has 2020 been for Belden Barnes? You guys still open for business? What's, what's going on?
2: I think that's a great question <laughs> because it's an ironic one. It's been both our best year in terms of sales we um pivoted really really quickly in the pandemic as in the plan we we developed a plan the very first night of shelter in place Um, and the plan was that because we make so many different bottles that we would do a virtual tasting series and offer every sunday night from five to seven we would walk our viewers, whoever wanted to join, through one of the 13 bottles or one of the- Well, we did nine different episodes. nine different episodes. But sometimes like we'd have the two Pinots together, the two Syrahs together, the two Rosés together. Um, And we sold it as a wine and wishing tasting box, which we still sell. The virtual tastings became really popular and they were featured on the Today Show and in Smithsonian Magazine, and I think in USA Today and The Chronicle. And so by the end of this tasting series, we were hosting 400 to 600 people every Sunday night. Um, And all of the, not all of these people, but most of these people had ordered the box. Some people had sent the box to 12 family members. So they would all tune in together on Sunday nights. And since the tasting series that we created ended, a lot of the people who had tuned in work for companies like Salesforce or Goldman Sachs or Genentech, Different. and they now do these tastings for their teams as either client relationship building or team building. So we're currently hosting about four virtual tastings a week.
1: Wow. That is awesome. It's yeah. good.
2: So On the flip side. That isn't
1: good, Lauren. That's amazing.
2: It's It was really amazing, and especially because we live with my father in Sonoma, and he's 74 years old and we made a decision to close the barn because we just weren't comfortable with you know being around more than eight people outdoors and the barn even though it's somewhat outdoors for us it didn't feel safe enough when it came to social distancing so we've done we do you know on weekends we do tastings under the wishing tree and under the kissing tree for un, for groups of eight or fewer so we have these Tastings that are pretty socially distanced. You know, we leave the wine with people, tell them a little bit about our story, and then let them enjoy the property. But that wouldn't have been enough to keep our business alive to the degree it was. On the flip side, the fires wiped out a third of our fruit, everything that was still hanging when the glass fire hit. So our Syrah, our um, Grenache, and our Viognier all lost to smoke taint. Um, And, And more importantly, I think than losing the grapes was just this was the very first year, you know, that we had to have come to Jesus's about the future of our business. Like, will we have a business five years from now, the environmental impact of global warming on our business and on all the businesses in Sonoma and Napa? This doesn't just mean us, but it's very real and it's happening earlier every year. And, you know, we built this business from the ground up six years ago. Really, we started with nothing. And every year, you know, we started with 500 cases the next year because we sold out really quickly. We doubled to a thousand. Then we double, you know, then we doubled to two thousand. Now we're getting close to four thousand and it's grown incredibly organically. And our wine club members love it. And there's a thousand of them. And, you know, that's a great number, but how many more years can we lose fruit? How many more years can we have panic attacks? Or I'll speak for myself because Nate stays calm through all this. I get really, really crazy thinking about losing our home, losing our business, losing the barn, and then just even losing all the fruit to smoke damage. It's just, it's not, unless the environment gets better, it's really hard for us to envision this the way we used to, as in we would do this for the rest of our lives. And we just really, at this point, we hope we will, but we just, for the first time, we're having questions about whether or not the world will let us do that.
1: Well, you know, the world, while there is climate change, we're learning to adapt. And I want to believe, because I'm an optimist, my wine glass is always half full. (laughs) I believe that there will be ways that we can evolve and I also believe in karma, Lauren. I'm a big believer in it. And, and both of you are such amazingly wonderful human beings that I've got to believe and I will believe that this well, is going to work you. out.
2: No, it's funny. I am a huge optimist. I mean, I built our brand around this idea of wish big and follow your dreams. Every cork reminds you to wish big. We hide the word wish in the wishing tree. Every visitor comes to the wishing tree. It's on our label. They hang their wishes. I'm in the process of putting together a coffee table book of all the 200 and 300 now wishes that have come true based on what people hung on the tree. And I just, I, I want to believe so badly. And I'm also, I'm skeptical now. I'm scared.
0: I think go, it's going to go hang a wish on your tree. It is. Yeah, it is. And it's recency, right? I mean, we just went through and it's, I would say, this is not an exaggeration, probably the toughest month of both of our lives, just in terms of, I would
2: say October
0: of everything. Yeah. Everything that hit us. And, uh, But yeah, I'm an optimist as well. I think we both, I mean, it's one of our shared values is seeking magic in the world and we're optimistic, but it's also, you've got to be a realist when you're trying to hold a family business together. And so, you know, I, I believe as well that we will adapt over time. It's just a matter of, can we hold our individual situation together as we all adapt? Do you know what I'm optimistic about, Nate and Lauren?
2: what i'm
1: i'm optimistic about finding out what's <laughs> in your glass
2: let's, open, right. let's open let's some open wine. some gruner should we yeah. open the Grüner?
1: so first? what are you starting this off with
0: yeah so we're going to start this off with uh gruner veldliner i gruner think veldliner in sonoma gruner veldliner um well, look at the yeah. wishing tree on that label
2: yeah and it's a wish tag do you see how
1: oh yeah oh wow yeah very cool I, I'm sorry this is on Zoom, but we're only going to be doing the audio, but that's very cool. People can go to your website, sign up for your wine club, and look at the label.
0: Right. Absolutely. Gruner Veltliner, it's been a really important bottling for us. We're the only people that bottle an estate Gruner Veltliner in Sonoma. You're and the first I've ever heard of. Yeah. The genesis of it is actually a really interesting story. You, you were recently talking to a Heritage Zinfandel producer, one of the folks that buys fruit from us is Mike Officer um, of Carlisle, who has a lot of um, sources from a lot of heritage Zinfandel vineyards. He was actually interested in some cool climate Syrah from our site um, when we were redeveloping it. And we actually have a, an eight acre bench that's an ancient rock slide that came off of Sonoma Mountain. And David Steiner, who originally planted the vineyard over 50 years ago had made, some of that bench into rock terraces and it's really evocative of the Wachau region in Austria where um, Gruner most notably grows. And so while Mike is a tremendous Zinfandel and Syrah producer, he's a Gruner freak in his personal life. And so he saw these rock terraces and he came back to us and he said, you got to plant some Gruner here. So we were somewhat familiar with Gruner and we said, well, you know, I, we can talk about," it. he said. "Well, yeah, let's let's talk about it. Let's have dinner, and I'll bring over some of my best Austrian bottlings. And uh, to make a long story short, we had a, made a cl- very clear-headed decision <laughs> to uh, <laughs> to plant some Gruner. three or four bottles of Gruner. Um, exactly. But for us, it it really was a calculated roll of the dice. We knew we still sell half the fruit to Mike, and we knew he would give it best efforts. And he's one of the best winemakers in Sonoma, so we could see what the vineyard would do. We didn't have a label at that time. We were still just farmers, but we felt like it was going to um, give us a chance to have something a little bit out of left field and differentiate ourselves. It's just been tremendous. I love, This is my favorite of our white wines. Um, I think it's a beautiful wine. It's it's very clean. Um, it's got great minerality, and but it's also... It, just as I talked about earlier, that it's got a lot of acid in it, but we're able to push the ripeness a little bit, so it's it's very alive with fruit as well.
1: So this is the two thousand eighteen Belden Barnes Estate Gruner. Belden. And what I That's love correct. about
2: what I love about this wine, and I like to talk about, is that because it does drain through the rock terraces, it has this beautiful stony quality to it. So it's like this very clean minerality. Um, It's just a beautiful, it does have that backbone of acidity that Nate mentioned, but this clean minerality makes it a very beautiful pairing wine. And even with foods that people say never serve artichokes or asparagus at a wine tasting, it will throw off your palate. This actually, something about it's
0: chemistry and flavor profile yeah
2: um brings out the best in those two challenging ingredients so
1: thank goodness i'm an artichoke freak and now i think i finally found my too. own
2: yeah me too it's also amazing with oysters
1: nice yeah so what uh
0: what's in our second glass mm. so our second glass is is the most recent uh addition to the family
2: and my favorite red we've ever made
0: Yeah. So this is what we call Epiphany. It's a, it's a Grenache. It's actually 95% Grenache, 5% Syrah. And this was actually, um, I guess the initial inspiration was a trip to France that we did about three years ago. We were in the Southern Rhone and we were in the village of Gigandas and uh, at a, at a chateau that we really like, St. Com and, um, down in their ancient Roman era cave with some friends tasting through their portfolio. And we all sort of, we're a pretty boisterous group. And we all got to one wine where everybody just sort of shut up (laughs) and, and it was silent. And Lauren looked at me from across the room, pointing at her glass. And she said, do you think we can do this? I said, yeah, I think we can, I think we can go for this. Um, and so we really set out to try to replicate that wine and, you know, as luck would have it, we, we feel like we really hit it. I mean, it's just a beautiful, beautiful wine. It's about 45% whole cluster, about 20% um, punch in new French oak. Just a beautiful wine that's very broad in terms of its, its food pairing capability. Similar to Pinot Noir, a little more robust and a little more depth, uh, but just a beautiful wine.
1: What's the palate profile on that?
0: pretty plush um, and complex. It's got a lot of, I'd say initially, a lot of strawberry and then tends towards darker berries. That whole cluster gives it some nice texture But it's, as well. it's
2: very fruit forward. So you do get jammy strawberries. You get a little bit of blackberries. Um, there's some cherry notes and it's just so smooth. It's velvety smooth. Oh God, it, I can't even... I, I'm a word person, but words don't even come to. Wow. It's silky. It's velvety. It's it's plush, but it's not. It's also layered plush. So it's not, you know.
0: It's not simple. It's, it's, it's definitely got a lot of depth to it.
2: Yeah.
1: Maybe you should have thought about naming it instead of Epiphany. How about Speechless? Speechless. <laughs> That's a
2: good name for a wine. I might use that on one of ours.
1: <laughs> You're welcome. Thank and you. I, so I have to say, I'm at a little bit of an advantage here, and I will apologize in advance to our listeners for this particular podcast. We're recording this about a week before Thanksgiving, and now I think I found my two Thanksgiving wines.
2: Nice. We're, these
0: are, these these are really,
1: your Grenache really good. Would be yeah. great on a Thanksgiving or holiday table. And again, I'm going to apologize to my listeners. This is probably going to air post-Thanksgiving, but maybe for next year.
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Can you just um so we have the 2018 the the Belden Barnes uh, Estate gruner and this is the 2018 Belden Barnes
2: Epiphany Grenache.
1: Epiphany
0: Grenache. And It's
2: also estate. I mean it's all ev- the fruit, everything we okay. do is estate grown.
0: Okay. We just have a black label line that we have singular names for. Um and this happens to be the Epiphany Grenache, but yeah, everything we do comes from our site.
1: And the price points on these two wines
0: so the Gruner is $28 retail and the Epiphany is $50 retail.
1: Wow. Those are great.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, we we feel like we really punch above our pricing. We um, thought
2: about bringing, we also debated, we have a beautiful, the sparkling we mentioned, the Blanc Noir, which is also great for a holiday table. And that comes in at 30. 38.
0: 38. Wow. 38.
2: So yeah. Well, you
0: do punch
1: above your weight there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have to say you're both absolutely adorable. This has been Delightful having you both here and thank you for taking the time. I know we were all super busy trying to get this organized and, and set up. So I can't thank you enough for uh, working with me on, on finally getting together because you're adorable.
0: Thank you. Oh, thank no, I you. appreciate that. No, this, and no problem. And we appreciate you being flexible. It's, it's just life these days, you know? And so we're glad we could all make it work.
1: Fantastic. Well, that'll do it for this episode of The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. This episode was produced by Sarah Beth Hensley, and the music you heard is Wishful Thinking by Dan Leibowitz, available in the YouTube audio library. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and catch my Wine of the Week shows every Friday on WTOP and WTOP.com. And remember, until the next time, do good, drink well.